This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. And I'm going to read this chapter. It's an exciting chapter in the life of the early church. The gospel has gone to the Jews in Jerusalem. It's gone to the Judeans and the Samaritans. It's gone to the Gentiles. This is all in fulfillment to Jesus' command that the Holy Spirit will come upon his disciples and they shall be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now along the way, there's persecution. And that persecution is seen here in Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guarded to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. We come to this chapter, Acts 12, and I've entitled the message, What Happens When the Church Prays in Unity? And I'm going to go through these points straight from our text. Number one, when the church prays in unity, you can expect opposition. There's going to be spiritual warfare. There's going to be flack. There's going to be persecution. You can expect that when the church prays in unison, we are united in focused prayer. We have a prayer target. We are agreeing in Jesus' name. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And our hearts agree for God's will. We're going to learn that we are to watch for God to answer. If you pray for rain, bring an umbrella. (laughs) Expect God to answer. And we're going to see that evil will cave in upon itself. That those who intended things for harm, God's going to work for good. And those who continuously harm God's people shall experience the judgment of God. Our arms are too short to box against God. The Lord says, revenge is mine, saith the Lord. And the final point we're going to see is that the gospel continues to spread regardless of opposition and persecution. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship, this time of listening to your word. We have prayed together that you would open our eyes that we may see, and we are trusting that you are doing just that. Give us ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand and wills to apply what we learn today. In Jesus' name, amen.
First of all, when the church prays unitedly, we can expect opposition. So the early church in the upper room met for 10 days, and they prayed, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And the Holy Spirit did come upon them, and Peter preached, and God added to the church those who were saved. And the church enjoyed wonderful communion with each other. But when Peter and John healed a lame man on the way to the temple, what happened to them? They were thrown into jail. They were commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they were flogged. They were whipped 39 times. And you know what? That did not slow them down. That did not stop them. They prayed for greater boldness to preach the gospel. So when we pray, the Spirit empowers us to be God's witnesses, but we can expect opposition. Satan is alive and well. Hal Lindsey wrote a book to that effect way long time ago, saying we shouldn't pretend that the devil is some harmless creature dressed in red pajamas with a tail and a pitchfork and horns. Satan is a fallen angel kicked out of heaven with a third of the angels who had rebelled against God because they wanted to be in the place of God. And because of their pride, they were kicked out. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so Satan, formerly Lucifer, and the fallen angels, who are now demons, oppose the work of God. They oppose the church. They oppose marriage. They oppose families. They oppose anything that's decent and good. We should expect opposition. Jesus said, they hated me, and so they will hate you because of me. People hate Christians because Jesus lives in our hearts, and they can't stand Jesus. That's why Satan and the demons attack the church. No different here. In Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, we read this, that It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter only, also. So here's Herod, and get this. Herod is from a long line of Herods. There are four Herods mentioned in the Bible. And this Herod is Herod Agrippa I. And he was the grandson of Herod the Great, who ordered the Bethlehem children to be murdered. And he's the nephew of Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded. And his son, Herod II, Herod Agrippa II, will be the judge at Paul's trial yet to come. Four Herods, each one of them evil, each one of them opposing the things of God. This is very interesting. In their lineage, Herod was an Edomite, meaning he was a descendant of Esau. Esau was known for persecuting his brother Jacob. Jacob is another name for James. Isn't it interesting that Herod, an Edomite from Esau, beheaded James? 
Yaakov. Isn't that interesting? We see that the wicked are persecuting the righteous. James, the first martyr of the apostles, was one of the original disciples. He was the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. And uh, one time their mother said, go to Jesus and ask him, ask him. Jesus, what, what do you want to ask me? And uh, James and John said, well, um, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your right and on your left when you sit on the throne? And Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And he was referring to the cup of dying, the cup of suffering death for God's sake, of dying a martyr's death. And sure enough, the first martyr is James, and the last, his brother John, was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he eventually wrote the book of Revelation. Isn't that interesting? The first and the last, James and John, had approached Jesus for special privileges, and they did suffer for the Lord. Now, where they are to be seated in the kingdom, that's up to God the Father to decide. But now Herod, seeing that this pleased the Jewish people, that he should arrest the church leaders of the way, James, and then Peter, he was eager to establish political clout. He wanted anything that would put him in a position of greater power, greater control, greater approval. He wanted his poll ratings to go up. So, okay, if the poll ratings went up because he uh, arrested James and had him beheaded, then let's go for Peter. And that's what he did. And he seized Peter, and it says this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. This happened during Passover and the 14 days after it, which would be the feast of unleavened bread. All of it combined is considered Passover. Why did he do it during that time? because the most number of pilgrims would be in town at that time. He would get the most future voters if he did this act that would endear him to their hearts. That's why he did it at this incredible time of people being in town. After arresting him, that is Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Now you need to know, that these were the Green Berets. These were the, uh, the army rangers of their day. They were the best of the best. They were the elite forces. And I heard that our elite forces uh, uh, recently uh, delivered one of our hostages in Nigeria. They went in by night, and they knocked out the uh, hostage uh, takers, and they delivered an American from being captive. captive. Well, these were the elite of the elite. However, what they did is they had these shifts, 16 soldiers in shifts of four. Two would always be chained to the prisoner, and two would be guarding the door. And the door was in the innermost part of the prison. There's no way out. Even Houdini would not be able to get out. Chained to two soldiers, with two soldiers at the door, being on the inner part of the jail, no way is Peter going to get out. 
And knowing that James had been beheaded, you would think Peter would be up all night because he knows he's next. But it says that he was asleep between the two soldiers. How is it that Peter could be asleep knowing that it looked like he was going to be executed? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he believed the promises of his Lord. Jesus said, when you are old, someone's going to take you and crucify you upside down. And he knew it wasn't his time yet. And I love that attitude. Go until God says no. Until it's your time, go full bore for the Lord. He slept in peace because he believed in God's word. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. When we take God at his word, we have a peace so we could sleep like a baby even in the midst of a trial. Praise God that Peter took God at his word. Secondly, when the church unites in prayer, we are united. It says in Acts 12, verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Do you see the word B-U-T? That's a contrast. On the one hand, Peter is kept in the deepest security, highest security prison imaginable under the most elite military guards. But the church was earnestly praying. Praise God that the prayers of God's people make a difference. You see, it was Herod's intention to execute Peter, but the church was earnestly praying. Now this raises a question, why did God allow for James to be beheaded, but yet Peter be delivered? There are some difficult questions, and we don't have the answer to them. We don't know why one person suffers, or one person dies, and one person miraculously recovers, or is delivered from a sure destruction. We know one thing, God is sovereign. He is the all-wise God. He knows what he's about. He does all things well, and we are to trust him no matter what. But this also says that because the church heard that James had been beheaded, they were put on high alert. The church realized this wasn't just persecution like before. Oh, they're going to go into jail, and they're going to be flogged, and they're going to be released. No, this time the ante is much higher because James was actually killed. Did you hear our church leader, James, the brother of John, was beheaded? No, we need to pray. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. We need to pray together right now and persistently. And they got together and they prayed. They prayed with all their hearts to God. They prayed unitedly. They prayed constantly. They prayed persistently. They prayed asking for mercy. Oh Lord, please, if it be your will, deliver Peter from death. May he not too be killed like James, who was put to the sword. He was beheaded. There's power in prayer. Prayer does not need proof. Prayer needs practice. The American Medical Association has done studies on prayer, and they have found that patients who are prayed for get better. But prayer does not need proof. 
it needs practice. We need to be praying. We need to be talking to the Lord and interceding on behalf of those in need. We need to be standing in the gap for our country and for our world. We need to be praying that the lost may come to Christ, that prodigals would return to God their Father who has extended arms to them, that people would be radically saved. We need to pray that the word of God will spread around the world. We need to pray. And we need to watch for God to answer. In Acts chapter 12, verses 7, 9, and 10 to 11, we read about this angel who comes into the jail cell where Peter is sleeping between these two soldiers. And a light emanated from this angel. He didn't need a flashlight. The light lit up the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Imagine that as an alarm clock. An angel startling you awake. And yet Peter was in some sort of daze because he wasn't sure if this really was going on, if this was really happening. It's the last thing he expected to be awakened by an angel while he's sleeping between two soldiers and for this angel to say to him, quick, get up. And when he obeyed, that's when the chains fell off Peter wrists. Sometimes God asks us to do something very simple. Get out of bed. And when we get out of bed, he blesses us. Go out the door. Go to your neighbors. Go to, get, go to work and be a witness for me. Go to the hospital and pray for this person. Who knows what the assignment is? It may be very, very simple. But when you follow through on what God tells you to do, God blesses you. God sets you free from the very things that have bound you. We need to be obedient to what the Lord tells us to do. So Peter followed the angel out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, uh, was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. Now you can imagine, he's thinking to himself, I must be dreaming. Okay, in my dream, an angel is here. He tells me to get up. The chains miraculously fall off of my wrists that cha are chaining me to these soldiers. I'm following out him out past the second set of soldiers, out through all the arrows, and then the gate opens automatically. This has to be a dream. But when they get out to the street where it's cold, he starts chilling and waking up. He shudders and he realizes, wait a second, this isn't a vision. This isn't a dream. After walking one block with the angel, he realizes when the angel suddenly leaves him, this is God delivering me. And notice what he says. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Praise the Lord. Peter is acknowledging that God has supernaturally intervened, that God has heard the prayers of his people, that God has shown mercy, and that God has prevented the intention of Herod and the plans and the hopes of the persecutors to end his life. That plan 
has fallen to the ground. It's null and it's void because God has answered the prayers of his people. Praise the Lord. We need to watch for God to answer. Now, Peter went over to Mary's house. Mary was the mother of John Mark. Young John Mark, in 30 years from that point, would write the gospel according to Mark. And she had a house large enough that uh, the disciples were able to meet in there. And uh, John Mark and Barnabas were cousins, and Mary was Barnabas's aunt, Aunt Mary. So Peter, coming to his senses, says, boy, I'm going to go over to John's house, to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark, and tell the disciples, I've been delivered, supernaturally rescued by God. So he goes and he knocks on the door and he is calling, hey, it's Peter, it's Peter. And he's a little bit nervous because the longer he stands out at that gate, the more the Romans can come after him and get him. He doesn't know that all this was while they were in a deep uh, sleep or um, under the influence of God blinding them. He's thinking they can come and get me. So he's saying, hey, it's Peter, please open the door, please open the door now, please open the door and Rhoda, you know, realizes it's Peter at the door, tells the disciples, and they say, you're out of your mind. You're crazy, girl. What are you thinking? It must be his angel. You see, the Jewish people and the Jewish Christians had a superstition that every person had a guardian angel. And that guardian angel could take the form of the person that guardian angel is guarding. So if Peter uh, was represented by the Lord, by his guardian angel, it could be a guardian angel knocking at the door. That's what they thought back then. It doesn't make it true. It just means that's the superstition they had at the time. But you can imagine them uh, not opening the door because it could also be the Roman soldiers knocking on the door for them to be arrested next. So I want you to notice that Peter kept on knocking on the door and notice the plural pronoun. And when they opened the door, the disciples decided we're not just going to send Rhoda back there to open the door. We're going to do it as a group because there may be some Roman soldiers on the other side. We want to see what's really going on. So they opened the door. They saw Peter and what? They were astonished. Their jaws dropped to the ground. No way, Jose, I can't believe it. It's Peter. We were praying for you to be delivered from jail, but we can't believe you're standing right here. We are to watch for God to answer. We're to expect God to answer. And we're to expect that God answers above and beyond whatever we could ask or imagine. Ephesians chapter 3, 20 to 21. God answers way above and way beyond your wildest thoughts and imaginations. Whatever you're asking for, God is going to answer way beyond that to his glory in Christ Jesus and the church forever. Praise be to his name. So Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet because there's quite a uh, hubbub and he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Now notice this next point, which is evil will cave in upon itself. So 
It says in Acts 12, 9, after Herod had a thorough search made for him, that is Peter, and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Now, these guards may have been very cruel to Peter. We know that with Jesus, they punched him, they spat on him, they put a crown of thorns on him and, and made fun of him as the king of the Jews, not even knowing what they were messing with. Imagine the cruelty they might have done to Peter. Well, guess what? Evil caves in on itself. The Lord dealt with them. And the scriptures are replete with this boomerang effect, as I say it. In uh, Psalm 94, verse 23, God will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. The Lord our God will destroy them. Esther 7, 10 so they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the fury of the king subsided. So we find this principle throughout Scripture. Evil will cave in on itself. Evil boomerangs. The evil the soldiers meant for Peter was visited on them. And the evil that Herod meant towards Peter and James and the church comes back to bite him. Let's look at that. In Acts 12, verses 21 to 23, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address. You need to know that as he was negotiating with the people of Tyre and Sidon, because they needed food and they were out of favor with him, he dressed on Claudius's special day, Caesar Claudius's special day, in a silvery garment and he had rings on all of his fingers and when he stood in public the sun shone on him and he glittered he was aglow and when he spoke we don't know what he said the people said your words are like that of a god and he said oh thank you thank you very much i received that i resemble that you nailed it, that's exactly who I am. I'm God. And because he took the glory that belongs to the Lord, the Bible says that he was eaten by worms and died. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes about this. He said that Herod Agrippa I had worms in his intestines that were 12 to 15 inches long, and they so multiplied, they burst his intestines, and he died an agonizing death. Within five days, Herod was dead because he did not give praise to God. Maybe the same angel that delivered Peter had double duty, and that double duty was for the angel to strike Herod down so that he was eaten by worms and died. You know, one day, evil persecutors will stand before God and give account, and they will be cast into the deepest, darkest hell. There is a day of accounting coming. In the song, The Battle Hymn of the Republic, we hear and sing, he will trample the vintage of the grapes of wrath, where the grapes of wrath are stored. Our Lord reigns, and he will judge. And the final point is this. The gospel continues to spread. Acts chapter 12, 24-25, it says, but, a word of contrast, in contrast to Herod exalting himself but dying, the word of God continued to spread 
and flourish. This reminds me of a controversial observation that has been made. And the question is, is this true or is this false? And based upon intense research, I have found that this story is true. That French philosopher Voltaire, who lived 1694 to 1778, in his voluminous writings against Christianity and the Bible, predicted in 1776 this, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. Within 50 years after his death, in an ironic twist of providence, the very house in which he once lived and wrote was used by the Evangelical Society of Geneva as a storehouse for Bibles and gospel tracts and the printing presses he used to print his irreverent works was used to print Bibles. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. No matter what is said against the Bible, no matter what opposition is done against the church, no matter what persecution we may experience, the word of God cannot be chained. The word of God will spread. The gospel will go to the ends of the earth and people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be before the throne of God singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Amen. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're on the winning side. No matter what we go through, stand tall, stand strong, stand faithful. Keep looking to the Lord. He is worthy. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 530- 8920521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's word.